family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. There is no better reality TV. I don't care what Donovan Bennett and Sid Sixero say. Bachelors, Survivor, Kardashians, even top million dollar agent with Mike Donia. There is no match for the reality of sports. I hope one person got that reference. I'll admit it. I thought the Clippers were done. I thought the Hawks were done a couple of games ago. I thought they were done at the half last. I thought the Habs were in big trouble in Little Vegas. And I'll be honest, I don't know what the hell to think about the Jays these days. That team throws better curveballs than their bullpen. Though that might not be saying much at this juncture in time. Even as I warned you at the end of yesterday's show, the storylines seem to change quicker than Andre de Grasse. Especially in the NBA, I'm still shocked by a lot of what we saw last night. And we'll get into all of it, including your memories on this, the two-year anniversary of the Raptors championship parade. The pictures still oh, jog back my memories of a different time in this world. Still the craziest day of my career by a country mile. And I worked 17 years with Sid Sixero, so you know I've seen some ish. Jesse Rubinoff, manning the wheels of steel, a.k.a. Twitter and Instagram. Raptors memories is the question. It's already out there on Twitter and Instagram. Jesse is already collecting. We'll get to that reaction a little later on. We'll also get to your reaction on another crazy night in the world of sports. And we start... With the Habs evening up their series with Vegas, one game apiece. The key? Man, we told you here on Tim and Friends exactly what that key would be. Or at least Anthony Stewart and Kevin Bieksa did. Well, I think they got to have the start they did last game. Edmondson shot off a skate. Lucid front scores! And the Canadians have struck first. First of all, I agree with Stewie. Great start for Montreal. In the slot, scores! A changeup by Toffoli. They got to come out gangbusters. 10, 15 shots in the first 10 minutes. Paul Byron's in alone. Scores! Backhand beauty. 3-0 Canadians. Huh? Hey, all you got to do is watch Tim and Friends. Gangbusters it was, Stewie. And we don't just shout opinion on this show. We back it up. I got numbers for you. Montreal outshot Vegas 12-4 and led 2-0 after one. It was 3-0 just under three minutes into the second period. It's the second straight game. Montreal dominated early. And those numbers supported this idea all along. The Habs' great starts are a huge part of why they're here. To quote Mike Babcock, starting on time. Montreal has now outscored their opponents 12-3 in the first period's of their 13 games with over 30 more shots. We're talking about Montreal, not exactly known as an offensive juggernaut late in the season. The Knights are top four in scoring in the league, both playoffs and regular season, yet they've been outshot and outscored 15 to eight in first period. So why is this so important? Well, one, leads are good. Two, the Habs are 9-1 when they score first, 0-3 when they don't. 
And even as Vegas outshot them 27 to 11 in the final two periods, they were able to hang on. That's right, kids. Montreal is 6-0 when leading after one period of play. Why do they play so well when playing with the lead? Three words. Carey Price. Here's Nylander in across. And a, what a stop. Price comes across. And Rob Jason Spencer. Well, he's got a lengthy highlight reel. Add that one to it. Stone breaks away. Patch ready on the left. Two on one, back to Stone. Oh, did you see that? What a stop, Carey Price. Off Mark Stone. The Golden Knights causing a disturbance. And now Petrangelo across. Oh, what a stop. Oh, it's in. Or is it? Fans reacting as if it went in, but somehow Carey Price comes across. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. He's unbelievable. That's just the postseason, 13 games. We've seen 10 bell after 10 bell. He doesn't even have the best goals against in the postseason or save percentage in the playoffs. Even his goal saved above expected isn't the best. But sometimes stats tell you the story of the man who drowned in a river with an average depth of one foot. Ponder it for a second. Price is just good. And he'll need to be. But the Habs have life. And they're heading back to Montreal on Friday night where... Yo, 3,500. We'll feel like 35,000. Swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We may have manipulated that in some way, shape, or form, but I believe my guy, our guy, Canada's guy, and I can't wait. I don't care how many people are in the building. There is just something about that arena and the form that came before it. There is magic in the Molsons there. Can it continue? We will ask Jen Botterell a little later on. Butch Goring also joining us. From New York, ahead of Game 3 on the island. And speaking of buildings, uh, Nassau County might just crumble from how hard they go on the island. And they will be jacked up for this one. We'll get you set for it. Hockey Central's at 7.30 Eastern following the NHL in 30 of a controversial Game 2, which follows us. So just lock it down. We've got you covered. And as I mentioned off the top, the... The NBA was crazier than a sack of rabid va- raccoons. It's pretty crazy, and I shouldn't have screwed it all up. Rabid raccoons. God, I couldn't since you understood. I'm not sure on what planet Kawhi goes down and the Clippers win and do it because of a dude in Paul George that was so beat up for his play in the playoff bubble that folks revoked his nickname of Playoff P. That is until last night. All that is true, and yet that's the secondary story in the NBA. How in the good name of world be free can that happen? The Philadelphia 76ers, that's how. The Sixers are the only team to blow a lead of 18-plus points in back-to-back playoff games in the last 25 years, and they did it in the last two. And this one was even more magical than the first one. They had a win probability, for whatever that's worth, of 95.5% at one point in game four. Lost. It reached 99.7%. Three-tenths away from 100. (laughs) 
Late in the third quarter of game five, they were up as many as 26 in the game, and they gave it all away on the brink of elimination when it looked like they would walk the Hawks. And it's hard to eviscerate Joel Embiid when he's banged up and goes for 37, 13, 5, and 4 blocks. But, but, and this is a big but, Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons come on down, making a combined $65 million this year and combined for 12 points. Man, Seth Curry had 36. Not Steph Curry, Seth, Tobias and his 35 mil this year alone. Two for 11. And Ben Simmons just ain't cute no more. This four-shot nonsense. My guy was two of four from the floor. Here's the truth. I heard there was a work ethic problem in Philly. And among those problems is Simmons, who in the past didn't want to put in the extra work on the jump shot. My guy, it shows. He had eight points, and they went to a hack of Ben. A point guard. Hack a point guard. He was 4 of 14 from the free throw line and is shooting 32% from the charity stripe in the postseason. I could do that. And Simmons is a freak of athletic nature. Here we go again with this one. And I'll just say it for you one time. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Welcome to the Philadelphia 76ers. But that night, not even be the worst of it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. So after game four, when the Hawks evened the series, big man Clint Capella said this about Joel Embiid. I saw a TikTok dad back there. I saw one. Yeah, I saw that whenever you wear him out, it's, it's everything becomes tougher for him. So um, it's, it's, that's how I know. Like, I knew it was a long series and... When the, fatigue, when, the, when the fatigue comes in, it's, it's, it's a different ballgame. When the fatigue sets in, it's a different ballgame. It pissed people in Philadelphia off. Embiid said, watch what I'm going to do tonight. And in the first half, he did. Coming off a 4-for-20 performance, he took Capella's lunch. It's 17 after one quarter on 7-of-7 seven seven shooting. Embiid was cruising. Sixers cruising. Up 22 at the half. When the human being running the Sixers Twitter account made one of the worst decisions of their lives. The tweet read, is this when we're supposed to be feel tired? With a yawning emoji. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. Oh my God. Jesse, I don't know what's worse. This tweet in hindsight. Mm. The own goal in Canada, Haiti. That was bad, yeah. Or burning the roof of your mouth on a pizza pocket. Burning the roof of uh, your mouth on a pizza pocket for me because that, that's happened to me. I don't think I've sent out a tweet that bad. And I certainly <laughs> haven't allowed it on goal that bad. Do you, like, honestly, I don't want to see anyone get fired. That's the last, especially in a pandemic, although yeah. they seem to be doing better down there than we are up here. Do you think that that person is still employed by the Philadelphia 76ers because... Everyone made them eat that with a knife and fork after the game. I think they're still employed, but it is a stern talking to. Because <laughs> when are we going to learn? You can't do that. Like, we talk about the win probabilities all the time. 99.7% in the third quarter. Except they lost. Right. So the win probabilities don't mean anything when you lose the game. You got to get to 100%. The game's got to be over. 
It's uh, that's as bad as they come. That is that, as bad as they that come. That is like freezing cold takes, just teeing off on it. You and I like. We'll tweet from our account. Yeah. And I don't I still feel this. Like I'm twenty years in the business. Every time I hit send on a Tim and Friends tweet, or even my tweets for that matter, mm -hmm. there's like a nervousness. Like Always. let me make sure that everything's okay here. Everything's lined up here. Nothing can come back to bite us in the ass. And lo and behold, someone didn't tell the Philadelphia. It's gonna that. happen. Yeah. It's gonna happen when you send out a lot of tweets. But in a situation like that, you have got to be more careful. Uh, I'm sure Philly will be fine with it. <laughs> Last thing here, Marcus Simeon is joining us in a flash. He is having an unbelievable season. In fact, he's leading all-star vote-getters at second base ahead of Jose Altuve and DJ LeMayhew in what you might remember is his first season playing second base. Now, all this comes a day after another tough loss for the Toronto Blue Jays. Their last four losses have come by a single run and while saying they may need help in the bullpen might just need to be on loop after Rafael Dolis left last night's game like we should just create a loop Jesse where we can hit play and it's just me saying they may need some help in the bullpen yeah what more can you do how many more games can you lose like this I well, I hope not many for Jays fans sake uh the only thing I could think of though was through all of these tough losses, however they come, foul balls that weren't foul, uh, out calls at third base that could be debated, I hope they aren't beginning to wear on this young team, like beginning to tear on their confidence. And then I saw the shot of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the end of the game again. That face does not look like the face of a kid tearing up the American League. I hope the Jays brass sees this and they go out and get him help. And maybe it was just the disappointment of the moment after the play at third base in the ninth. Maybe that was it. Maybe it wasn't the entirety of the last little while. But, man, this young team has taken on a lot over the last It's not while. the first time. It's no. not the first time they've gone to the dugout and those guys have looked dejected at the end of games. Not the last not, – not, yeah. not in the last week. It's happened every day for three days straight pretty much. I guess you count them yeah. up. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, we'll ask one of the veterans of the team, Marcus Simeon, how much this is wearing on this squad. We'll also ask him about an amazing year. He is having an unbelievable year this far. And even though he finished third in AL MVP voting, he's never made an all-star game. So, folks, go click that vote button. Still to come, Jennifer Botterill on her thoughts on last night's Habs win. Former Islander player... And coach Butch Goring joins us to tee up game three between the Lightning and the Isles, plus June Lee on MLB's cheating crackdown and the visceral reaction to that. Plus, after the break, he is the AL's leading vote getter. He is Marcus Simeon. He is of the Toronto Blue Jays, and he will join me live next on Tim and Friends. Now, Petrangelo across. Oh, what a stop. Somehow, Gary Price comes across and the Canadians are going to go back to Montreal with the series tied at a game apiece. Man doesn't take the three, drives it, oh he finishes! Terrence Mann, literally a man's chance for LA. <laughs> what a comeback and what a collapse by the Sixers. These looks tell it all, they can't believe it, they are stunned in this arena right now. I don't know that he found that ball. I'd run home if I was Teoscar. 
That didn't look like it was a foul ball to me. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to. It's so hard to grip the ball. I just, you know, I mean, for Pete's sake, it's. Please just, please just talk to us. Please just work with us. What a run Simeon has been on since the beginning of May. And this one is smoke left field. Get out of here, ball. Marcus Simeon gets things started in a big way. A leadoff home run. Day by day continues to impress with the quality of his at-bats. Simeon drives the ball to deep center. Gone! What a job he has done top of the order for this ball club. And the fly ball to right. The track at the wall. Simeon has really stepped up big time. He's hitting everything. He continues to swing a red hot bat. If this guy's not the starting second baseman for the American League in the All-Star game, there's got to be an investigation. How about that from Danny Shulman? Signed in the offseason, brought in and asked to play a new position at second base, and not only looking pretty good, my guy is leading the position in All-Star voting in the American League ahead of Jose Altuve, and DJ LeMahieu. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome the Jays' Marcus Simeon. Marcus, thank you very much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know you've never been an all-star. What's it feel like to hear me say that you have the lead in all-star votes at second base? Well, I mean, it still feels like I've never been an all-star. Um, <laughs> you know, until it happens, I still have that mentality. Um, you know, anything I can do to help us win ball games should help my chances in the All-Star game. Uh, that's the way I look at it. That's the way I've always looked at it. So um, no added pressure or anything like that. Just play good baseball and see what happens. Yeah, you guys have been playing some pretty good baseball, and you've been playing some pretty good baseball. Do you allow yourself, it sounds like maybe not, but do you allow yourself to think of what it would mean to be an All-Star? Well, I think about it more for my family. Um you know, for me, obviously, I've watched that game, you know, from my childhood till now. You know, it's one of the best all-star events in sports, I believe. Um, yeah. You know, the game itself is very competitive. You know, guys are playing hard. Um, and it's just cool to see, you know, the best guys that year in each league compete against each other. And if I can be a part of that, you know, that'll be a blessing. What do you think has been the key so far to your success in, in Toronto? Air quotations. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm just, you know, staying healthy. And once you get hot, like I did in May, you, you gain a bit of confidence and you know that you want to keep it rolling, but you may not be as hot as you were in May like I was, but uh, you found something that you can roll with for a while. And that's kind of where I am right now. It kind of came after a slow start. Was Was some of that slow start getting used to playing second base and how comfortable are you there now? Well, I mean, usually I'd say, you know, defense can affect hitting, but, you know, second base has actually been a lot more relaxing and, and less demanding than shortstop. Um, I just think I wasn't seeing the ball great in Dunedin in the beginning, and I did okay on the road, and, and then we got into May and did okay in Dunedin, um, but I just got really hot, and um now, I don't think the two correlate, you know, defense and hitting this year. I think it's just been I found a routine in the cage that I really like, and um, I'm getting better at it. All right, let's stick on the defense just for a, a second because I know the offense is there. I heard that they put you and Bo Bichette together for some of those 
team building exercises and that you guys were sat pretty close to each other uh, in the clubhouse to get some chemistry. Was it stepbrothers at first or was it immediately comfortable with the other uh, shortstop in the in the mix? No, we were good from day one. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, as a shortstop, I still consider myself a shortstop. I yeah. feel like we were out there both playing shortstop. I just happened to be on the right side. And there's a lot of things that I've been through that he is going through right now. Um, you know, I've been through as a young player. So uh, he, I'm happy that I can be around him and just kind of share you know, my experiences that I used to go through in Oakland and you know, that he'll be just fine. And, and now we're seeing him get hot at the plate and he's playing great defense and I'm excited for him. I think of our role sometimes in television as, as a role of a translator from the fans to the players and management and from the players and management back to the fans. I think the votes are the best chance for Jays fans up here to show you their appreciation because, I mean, we hope that they can do it in person, but it doesn't look like they might not be able to. And it's weird because you're on a one-year deal and you might not be able to get to play in front of them. But can you feel the love from Jays fans? Because there is a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw it. I'm seeing it now in Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, that's the biggest difference between Dunedin and here in Buffalo is that we have fans cheering for us. You know, my, my family was in the crowd, and my wife mentioned to me how she got chills finally hearing Blue Jays cheer for us and cheer for me for the first time. And it's something that I could get used to. I know it's hard to feel it from a lot of fans uh, up here, but uh, a lot of them have written in and asked, uh, what about his next year or the year after that? Have you thought about next year at all? Uh, of course. You know, everybody wants to know where they're going to be. Um, I still feel like I have a lot of years left to play ball. And the last two years have been, you know, free agent seasons for me, which is a little... It can be nerve-wracking at times, especially when, you know, a guy like me where I'm married with three kids, um, you know, you want to know where you're going to be. But that's just kind of how the the offseason went, and we decided to go one-year deal, and we will see what happens, you know, once we get into the offseason. I'm raising two kids in Toronto, wonderful place to raise kids, but I'm just saying. Uh, you, you've been <laughs> around for a bit now. How, how good can these kids and this club be looking forward? Well, they're already good. Um, you know, our lineup is one of the best in the business. I think that you look at one through six, one through seven, once we get George back, um, who do you pitch to? You know, we have guys who can hit homers um, throughout the lineup, guys who can control the strike zone, and guys who can run the bases. And that's it's one of the most complete offenses I've ever been a part of. You know, I think that we're only going to get better as the year goes on and learn how to win these close games and figure out other ways to to win ball games without the bats. Um, you know, and I'm excited. I, I feel like there's still a lot of baseball left for us to learn a lot of different things. You mentioned those close games. When we were talking about it in the opening segment of the show. Can you measure how you think the clubhouse has reacted to those tough losses? Well, I mean, it's, everybody wants to look at one aspect and say, oh, that's why you lost the game. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the the bullpen or defense or you know, a strikeout in the key situation, the game is nine innings, at least, at least nine innings. And throughout a nine-inning game, there's a lot of different things that happen that could, you know, that could change the outcome of a game. So, you know, when you get to the eighth and ninth inning and, and we give up runs, everybody automatically wants to 
blame the bullpen, but that's not fair to them because what about in the third or fourth when we didn't get a guy over or get a guy in? Everything adds up. Uh, so I think that it just takes a little bit of a little bit more focus in every situation throughout the nine inning game. In this clubhouse, you're one of the vets. Uh, I'm not saying you're old. I'm just saying you're one of the vets. Do you try and make sure that the kids don't take this to heart, or have you noticed that they're already good at that? Well, I think that this is uh, the first full season for a lot of these guys. So yeah. here we are in June, and everybody's looking at the standings. When the standings don't, they don't matter yet in my eyes. I think the standings get important once you get to late August and September. If you just focus on playing good baseball and, and holding your own in this tough division, right now that's all you can do and that's all you should do. Um, if you're looking at you know, where we are in the standings today, they're going to be a lot different by the end of the year. Hey, Ross Stripling came out and told the media that he addressed the team yesterday without opening the clubhouse to the public. I don't want you to do that. How much can something like that mean to a clubhouse when somebody kind of owns up to a mistake like that in front of the whole team? Yeah, that was that's going to be important moving forward. I think that you know, as a ball club, we are we are brothers, and brothers are going to have arguments. Brothers are going to get mad at each other, and brothers are also going to be happy together and win together. So you you need to go through those little things just to you know come out better for it. All right. Despite the heartbreak of late, does it feel like you guys are close to being a really good team? We are a good team. Uh, period. You know, that we've, we've ran into some games where that we've lost at a close games. That doesn't mean we're a bad team at all. You know, I think you ask anybody around the league, they know we're a dangerous lineup. We have good starting pitching and we have good arms in the pen. Now it's time to execute. Listen, man, I, I know it's game day. I know uh, in the days of Zoom to the fans, the fans can sometimes feel like they're left out. So on behalf of them and me, I really appreciate you doing this on a game day with us. All right. Have a good one, guys. You too. There is uh, Marcus Simeon joining us from Buffalo ahead of the Yankees and the Jays. Uh, I did say really good team as opposed to just good team. I hope uh, hope Marcus doesn't think that I was saying that they're a bad team. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jesse's chuckling. We got the baseball world buzzing right now. Pitchers are upset. We'll go from a great offensive lineup to a deeper dive. In the sticky situation the MLB finds itself in. And the fallout. ESPN's June Lee joins me next. Your feedback all coming up on Tim and Friends on SportsCenter. In case you hadn't heard, Major League Baseball, a bit of a sticky situation. Literally, figuratively, whatever you want to say. Well, the doctoring of baseball has been happening since the days of Cy Young. Major League Baseball decided enough is enough. And on Tuesday, in the middle of a season, the league and the commissioner, Rob Manfred, announced that new policies would go into effect on Monday. Pitchers caught using sticky substances like spider tack will be ejected and suspended for 10 games. Let's just say there was a bit of a pushback from the players. There are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players from the last generation of players to this generation of players your favorite pitcher probably 50 years ago was using something too whatever percentage you want to put on it there's a probably a pretty large percentage of pitchers that use something have you ever used spider tap while pitching um i don't i don't know i i, I don't know if uh 
don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. I have used sticky stuff before. It's probably gotten to a point that's that certainly crossed the line, and I think Major League Baseball has certainly felt that way. If you can see this stuff. <laughs> this is insane. Look at this. I mean, this is unbelievable of trying to throw a baseball with this. I don't use spider tack. I don't need more spin. I, I have huge hands. I spin the ball fine. I want grip. It's so hard to grip the ball. In the past, I my like substance of choice is sunscreen and rosin. Like just nothing egregious, something to where I can get a grip on the ball so it doesn't feel dusty. For Pete's sake. I can hold the ball like this. That's obviously illegal, right? But it's not because it's sweat and rosin. The reality is if you're you know, caught with something, it's pretty clear what the what the punishment's gonna be. They can't outlaw sweat and they give me rosin, so am I gonna get suspended for for that? I, I don't know. They said you can't use anything, so I'm like, all right, I guess I just have to follow the rules. Of course, we all understand that if there's a rule written and MLB chooses not to enforce it for hundreds of years, uh, can we really consider that a rule? I don't, I don't think so. It's hard to see this when you're giving out 10-game suspensions for cheating but you give the Astros no, no suspensions at all. I think that's one of the biggest issues right now is that they haven't thought through a lot of these things. Um, they just made the umpires judge, jury, and executioner. I would encourage the commissioner's office to continue to talk with us, please, because we're the ones that throw the ball, they don't. If Rob Manfred can look himself in the mirror and say, hey, I'm doing the right thing, that's fine. Please just talk to us, please just work with us. I know you have the hammer here. I think in the end, ultimately the goal here for, for Major League Baseball is to to have a level playing field. All right, level playing field. Kind of funny because this has been going on for uh, decades. And all of a sudden, with the advancement of technology and the importance of analytics, people are now screaming foul on something like spin rates because velocity and strikeouts are on the rise and no hitters are becoming commonplace. A couple of years ago, they wanted to change the balls because there were too many home runs hit. Now... Not enough. Have they changed the balls? The other thing about all of this is it's the latest in a long line of cheating scandals in the sport of baseball. So where do we go from here and how will this affect all parties when the next CBA is upon us? Unlike other issues that are collectively bargained between the MLB and the PA, the league decided to implement these changes on its own, saying they reached out to the players' union, MLB umpires, and the minor leagues when de when deciding on changes. So there we are, and here we are with the latest scandal in a sport that has a long history of them. All right, here to help me break all this down like MC Hammer is ESPN's June Lee. Thank you for being a friend. June, how are things going, and where are you right now? Uh, so I'm currently in Harlem at a, at a Little League field. We're in the middle of practice, and I'm, I'm taking a break to talk to you about spider tack, which I have a, I have a tub over here. Okay, so let's, let's begin with the spider tack here, because what I saw was a bunch of pitchers who felt like the uh, public opinion was on their side, feeling very confident in going after Major League Baseball. But when you talk about rosin and sweat versus what you have in your hand, can you tell me the difference or show me the difference? So, this is spider tech, right? <laughs> it's incredibly sticky. Uh, I, I, so I, I play baseball at a bench warmer high school level. I pitched a little bit. So I, I'm familiar with what it's like to use rosin and sweat to kind of get a grip on the ball. This is just something different. Like you can, you just need a little bit of this and it's just like, it, it feels like using super glue on your hand. Um, and I, I was literally just throwing with this a couple minutes ago with my friend and I have a 
average for a normal human curveball. <laughs> and this added probably two or three inches of break on it. Like my friend was throwing with Spider Attack as well. He was adding another two, three inches on his changeup in, in terms of drop. Like this is, I, I, I started I started throwing with it. It was just like, oh, this is legitimately something that's just completely on another level from what's been happening with Sweat and Ross in, uh, in the last, you know, 10, you know, over the course of the game. But this is just kind of taking it to a complete other level. So did getting the spider tag change your opinion on this entire situation? Uh, it didn't in that, like, I always knew, and there's been conversations around the sport about the fact that people were using something. I think this is one of those instances where, and I, I put this out on Twitter yesterday, where I think there's two parties that are at fault here, right? Like, there's kind of this culturally accepted barrier of what you could use on the baseball field, sunscreen and rosin. Uh, you know, some people use pine tar, you know, sweat and rosin. Spider Attack feels like it's just taking it to another level. So I, I would put blame on the pitchers here and pushing the line in, in a manner that is unacceptable and, and definitely creating a create a, an advantage for, for pitchers on the mound and just being able to generate more spin. But I think you also have to fall Major League Baseball here in that they kind of put this blanket band in the middle of the season. I think Tyler Glasnow articulated this really, really well in talking about the fact that, you know, he, he uh, prepared the entire season to pitch one way. And as soon as the band kind of uh, was put into place. He had to completely change the grip on his, on his fastball and his curveball, and he thinks it led to an injury. And I think that's a pretty feasible thing uh, in when you listen to how he explains it. And so, you know, I think there, there are definitely two parties at fault here. And, and you know, I, I'm personally of the belief that MLB is in, in charge of the culture here, right? They, they're the governing body of the sport. They could, they knew that this kind of stuff was happening, given that they were investigating this before the season and were, and were planning on looking at how much was, was affecting the game. They could have taken steps to prevent this from even happening in the first place. Joining us from Mace's Harlem World, where he is coaching a little league team, June Lee, here on Tim and Friends. It's wonderful to hear the kids playing in the background. My kid just started his baseball practices again because of our lockdown, and they're limited. So it's awesome to hear all that in the background. So what do you think will be the biggest story in six months' time? Like, I know that everyone is kind of reacting and trying to pick sides and either getting mad at pitchers for being able to throw no hitters or getting mad at Major League Baseball. In six months, what do you think we'll look back and say this was the big problem? Well, I think that this issue right now, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of distrust between the players and the league currently. I think this is very emblematic of this, the current state of the relationship between the league and the players. Um, there is so much distrust in, in a manner that I don't think has existed in the sport since the 94 strike. And, you know, reporters that are older than me say that the relationship between the league and the players is worse right now than it has been. Um, you know, there was Pete Alonso last week talking in a press conference about yeah. a conspiracy theory that he presented as fact that uh, MLB was manipulating the baseballs for to manipulate the free agent market, depending on whether or not there was a lot of pitchers on the on uh, you know, come, coming upcoming on the free agent market versus whether they're hitters uh, and, and changing it depending on trying to kind of tamp down salaries as a result by changing uh, the consistency of the baseball and whether or not you know it's juiced or if it's deaded. Um, I think that's a far-fetched conspiracy because that assumes that MLB has the competency to actually manipulate <laughs> balls in that way. And I always tend to believe that MLB is probably less competent and more competent in most situations. Um, but I think that just speaks to the lack of trust between the two sides right now. And it makes me incredibly concerned with the fact that when the players look at the state of baseball, they don't believe that the league has any kind of good faith in thinking about the future of the sport. 
Uh, and that really, really concerns me. Like, I, I can't say whether or not there's going to be a strike, but I can say that when I talk to players around the league, the attitude that they have for, in terms of talking about MLB as a governing body and Rob Manfred specifically is incredibly cynical in a way that I think is very, very toxic for the future of the sport. Yeah, like I won't put the tinfoil hat on Pete Alonzo's. I'll listen to it and I'll hear the idea that maybe this was an attempt to put a rift between the union with the, play, with the hitters and the pitchers within the union by creating this uh, two-sided argument. Uh, I'll listen to a lot of that, but what bugs me the most, June, is that I don't believe that Major League Baseball has the best interest of the game moving forward in mind doing this, and that's very troubling to a guy who loves baseball. Yeah, I mean, as someone who also loves baseball, that's been the conversation around Rob Manfred, right? Like, there's a lot of conversation about whether or not he loves, quote-unquote, loves baseball, right? I think he does love baseball. Otherwise, why would he get this far in his career in the first place, put so much effort into pursuing his career in the sport? But that being said, it's all about priorities, right? And he, he, at the end of the day, he is reporting to 23 owners, the majority of the owners that approve a CBA. Um, and, and that's what he, whose opinion he cares about the most. Uh, he cares about moving forward the financial state of the sport. And I know from talking to players that a lot of people believe, especially considering the, the way that the last CBA negotiations went, where play, the players in the, in the MLBPA were asking for a lot of player comfort things, you know, hotels, planes, that kind of stuff in the negotiation. And Manfred was kind of able to uh, undermine their financial position in terms of the collective bargaining agreement. And the players don't want to be undermined in that way anymore. Uh, and so they've brought in a lot of top lawyers into the PA over the course of the last couple of years to kind of prepare for this. Um, but the players in general, I think, are of the belief, and I think this stems from this general toxic relationship that they have right now, is that MLB is looking for short-term financial gains rather than thinking about the long-term kind of future of the sport. And when they compare across the leagues and they look at the NBA, for example, and they look at Adam Silver, Adam Silver has this relationship with the players where he talks to them. There is a conversation there before he makes decisions. Of course, he still reports to the owners, but at the end of the day, he's still considering the opinions of the players because he understands that Without the players, there is no sport on the field. And I think that what's emblematic of the situation in terms of the current relationship between baseball and the league is that the league basically cut out you know, sticky substances uh, without consulting players in the first place. Uh, I love how a glove came flying over your head and you're powering through the screams of the young children behind you. What are you doing? What up? He's talking to Canada. About baseball? Yeah, he's talking about baseball in Canada. Yeah. I, I can tell June's not a yeller. What's going on? How's everyone doing? Uh, they can't hear you because I'm on, I'm on your podcast right now. That's right. Yeah. I'm talking to him like an idiot, and I'm just going into your ear. <laughs> All right. Let's, con- let's continue. Can you continue this? Are you able to power through this? I, I can continue this. I, are, I can power are you sure? This, I, think. I think so, yeah. So we're looking at like nine... Eight, nine-year-olds? Six and seven-year-olds, Six I think. and seven-year-olds. Nice. Okay. Yes. So baseball's been slow to adjust to this in the past. Like, we have seen that whether it's steroids, whether it's Apple watches, whether it's garbage cans, we're always in these spots with Major League Baseball as someone hovers over June's phone, and I can kind of sort of see it. So let me just ask you, is this something that Major League Baseball thinks that we as guys that love baseball and fans that love baseball should just overlook? 
Um, sorry, could you, could you say that again? <laughs> Should we be overlooking this one and just moving on the way we have in the past? Because it seems like none of this, quote unquote, sticks. <laughs> um, I had a question asked me the other day about whether how this compares to the steroid era. And I think don't think that it is the same level. I mean, if you if you if you played baseball, I think you understand kind of the ramifications of using steroids. Yeah. Um, and, I, and and I think you understand. There's also the legal element to it. Like there was a supreme. They they talked in front of the U.S. government about this. Like we're not going to get a government hearing about them using sticky stuff. I I don't think. Um, but this has been part of the sports culture for such a long time. Using something to get a grip. Uh, and this is really just an instance of MLB not kind of finding the boundaries of the culture, not kind of litigating it proactively, and then pitchers taking that line too far to the point where it's now affecting the on-field product. And so I don't think it stems to the level of the steroid era, which, you know, in retrospect, I think was probably a, a net positive in terms of pub publicity and buzz yeah. for the sport because uh, it was an incredibly exciting era of baseball yeah. to watch. Um, so I don't think in terms of, you know, morality, it's, it, it is kind of in the same sphere as that, but uh you know, I do think that we're. It's going to be very, very interesting to see over the next few weeks and months to see how this plays out over the course, over the, course of the rest of the regular season. So the kids know that June Lee's like a big time star. Or are they just coach? no, just coach? No, no, no. They, 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 I'm just coach. Yeah, they have no idea what I do for work, and they also don't listen to me, which is like an incredibly humbling. <laughs> you like you can't control six and seven year olds, you know. No, there's no, there's no yelling June Lee that as soon as you hit the uh, the red button that hangs up on us. All right, kids, get in line. Everybody along the first baseline, we're running suicides. <laughs> that is, that is just not me. <laughs> no, it's not you. All right, I don't think yeah. anyone can be that guy anymore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> appreciate you doing. I, I had that guy. I'm gonna tell you right now. But I'm 45. Come after me. I'm a man. Thank you for powering through. I appreciate it a ton. Thank you for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, There's, uh, ladies and gentlemen, June Lee from Harlem uh, doing baseball practice and a hit with us here. Modern technology. Those are the real sounds of summer. Hey, It's the kids screaming yep. in the background. It's amazing. It Good was, for June, man. That's awesome. Unless you're listening on the radio. It might have been a tad bit annoying on the radio. <laughs> and to true. those listening on the radio, uh, we apologize a wee bit. Uh, for those watching on TV, it was kind of funny. Um, this is the two-year anniversary of maybe the craziest day I've ever had in this business. For about two million others, it was a day of euphoria. For 100,000 in Nathan Phillips Square, it was absolutely crazy. I don't know if I have ever seen anything like the Raptors parade that happened two years ago on this day. Hello, Canada, and welcome to a day of celebration 24 years in the making. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. Two million people expected to come down and participate. Are people fun. actually pulling over? Oh, my God, they are. This is a surreal scene. And Marc Gasol knows wow. what to do with this. Mark, I've learned two things about Marc Gasol. One, he's an NBA champion. Two, he cannot dance. Somebody gave Kawhi a plant somewhere on the route. Here it is. Did he get a coactus? A mini coactus? There's a guy walking around here, no joke, yeah. with chips and dip. There's no way this is sanitary. Are you eating that? There's no way there this is sanitary. better not be double dipping with that. I think it was Bono who said the world needs more Canada. The world just got it. Congratulations. Yo.
Does it not feel like 15 years ago (laughs) and not two years ago? Uh, Two years ago today, send us your favorite memory. We've put it up on Twitter. What is your favorite memory from the day? And if it's not a favorite memory, I understand. Trust me, I was down with you in that square. We'll take the break. When we come back, we'll shift our focus back to hockey. The Habs with another quick start and a split in Vegas to take back to Montreal. We'll look back on game two ahead of the rest of the series as Jennifer Botterill joins us next here on Tim and Friends. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs Hour number two. Tim and Friends, Euro 2020 in 2021. Highlights on the way. Plus, round one highlights from the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. Game three between the Lightning and Islanders goes tonight. Hockey Central coming your way, 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. And we'll have Butch Goring dropping by a little later on to tee it up. Jennifer Botterill, just a couple minutes. Montreal looking good. That's right, the Habs head back to Montreal with a split from the first two games in Vegas. And before they boarded the plane for games three and four back in La Belle Province, Jeff Petrie spoke to the media about how his hand feels after returning to the lineup. Did he talk about his eyes too? No, just hand. Just hand. Um, yeah, it feels good this morning. So um, responded well um, after a game. And, you know, for me, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, didn't do too many battles in practice, so um, it was kind of taking things on the fly and seeing what worked, what didn't. And, um, you know, overall, I felt, uh, um, you know, I felt good. I think he's looking into our soul. He's looking into our... His eyes look weird. Habs GM Mark Bergevin, finalist for the NHL's, NHL's GM of the Year Award. Other finalists, Lou Lamarillo. Bill Zito of the Panthers. Voting was done by the league's GM and executives after the second round of the playoffs. And by the way, Julian Brisebois, I don't know, just throwing it out there. In related news, uh, Joe Sackick also trending this afternoon. I thought Brisebois too, but Sackick, Brisebois, whichever one you want. Meantime, the Toronto Blue Jays have named a finalist for ESPN's Sports Humanitarian of the Year Award. The team. The other finalists are the Atlanta Dream, the Denver Broncos, and New York City FC. The award is given to a team that demonstrates how teamwork can create an impact on a community. The Jays and their Jays Care Foundation committed $7.5 million to a COVID response plan providing meals and programs for Canadians in need. We mentioned it a bunch of time in our good news of the day. We'll just add this. 
Wonderful news and proof that being a good human still matters. Jays, meanwhile, wrap up their series with the Yankees in Buffalo tonight. It's been a tough couple of one-run losses for the Jays in the series so far. Rafael Dolis, who left last night's game with numbness in his hand, is unavailable tonight. No decision on an IL stint has been made as yet. TJ Zoik starts for the Jays against the Yankees. Michael King. See it on Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet Now, starting with Blue Jay Central, 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. The Bisons in afternoon action today with George Springer back in center field after DHing last night. Springer went one for four with a double in the game. Now two for 12 and three games on his rehab assignment. Also of note, Thomas Hatch started and pitched three and a third innings, giving up one earned run. The Milwaukee Bucks try and keep their season alive in game six against the Nets tonight. I'm not making any proclamations on this one because I've been watching the NBA. Bucks led by as many as 17 in game five before Kevin Durant took over and led the Nets to victory. Kyrie Irving remains out. James Harden will play. How good? We'll see. Speaking of basketball, America Cup action, quarterfinals. Canada taking on the Dominican Republic after finishing perfect 4-0 in the group stage. Kyla Alexander, nice look down low to nail Rang Kakakunwe. She lays it in. Canada started the game on a 12-0 run. Third quarter, Canada now up by 19 near a fields wide open. Aslan Koenig for three. Bucket. Next possession, Koenig again. She was 7 of 9 from deep, 21 points. I think a WNBA team will pick her up after being a late cut in the training camp. Letitia Amahair coming up with a steal out of South Carolina, laying it in. She scored a game-high 26 off the bench because Canada won easily. 90-53 the final as they advance to the semifinals. Meanwhile, Rafael Nadal and Naomi Osaka both win drawn from Wimbledon. The season's third major begins in 10 days and will be missing high-profile stars on both sides. Nadal said he'll also skip the Olympics as he nurses injuries, while Osaka, missing Wimbledon to take personal time with family and friends, says that she will compete at home in the Tokyo Games. It's the show of shows, isn't it? Who's ready to get this party started? Huge game two. Only in Vegas, where ushers bring fans out of their seats. They score! Yoel Armia, Montreal, breaks the ice. A changeup by Toffoli. A terrific opening period for Montreal. Period number two, here's a break. Petretti's in, off the goalpost. Oh, what a stop. Oh, it's in. Or is it? Somehow, Carey Price comes across. Paul Byron's in alone. Scores! Backhand beauty. This one will be on the highlight reel. Petrangelo. And it could be a big one for Vegas. Marcia saw across. Scores! Another face-off goal. And it's a one-goal game. And the Canadians are going to go back to Montreal with the series tied at a game apiece. It's game on now. And now you got yourself a series. We do have ourselves a series. Uh, joining me from the mothership that is apparently changing 
for next season to an updated new hockey studio. But I digress. Joining us from the mothership is Jen Botterill. Jen, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it as always. Oh, great to see you. And good to see you too. So let me ask you this. When you played, did you ever have teams where you worried about the start or were you never had to worry because you knew coaches and players were going to be ready to go? It seems like starts are so huge for Montreal and Vegas struggles with them that this could be a talking point for the rest of the series. Well, definitely. If you can get uh, everyone involved in your team and get a good start to the game, uh, it just increases your confidence. And that's for players in every position, from the goaltender to defensemen making smart plays out of their zone and into the forwards. I mean, when you're carrying the puck and knowing that you have an early lead, it just adds to, to that fuel. And I think the confidence level, you know, in, across the roster. And so for Montreal, that should be a focus of theirs going forward in this series to know that they've had different people stepping up to contribute but to know that you want to get all of those skaters uh, involved in the play early to try to get uh, that lead early in the game it's not like we can get around the teams like does Dom Ducharme just give amazing pep talks like is he like <laughs> Is, is he like uh, Al Pacino in the football movies? Is he giving one for the Big Dipper? Like, what are we talking about here? Well, you know, inside that locker room, we don't know exactly what's being said, but the guys come out and they look like they're ready to perform. And the thing about Montreal is that they have faced adversity at different points throughout the season. They've had some ups and downs, even in the regular season in terms of earning their playoff spot. Um, they were the last team in the North Division to qualify. And then you look at their first round, they had to go to seven games. And so that just adds to, to the edge that they bring and also that that belief factor. And, and so I'm sure that Dom Ducharme has some great little uh, speeches up his sleeve, save for these big games and these big moments. Um, uh, but for those players on Montreal, just say, hey, we're ready. Come puck drop, we're ready to compete. Uh, any given Sunday, have you seen Al Pacino any given Sunday where he says the inches? He gives a speech about the inches and how much they mean. Well, there, yes, and there's been a lot of discussion throughout these playoffs from teams that recognize the importance you know, of every moment and yeah. whether it's the details in the game or every moment to recognize how important every shift is that you take in you know, finishing the pass or making uh, the shot or, or finishing, you know, working hard on the back check, any detail that you mention, that could be the difference between winning and not winning the game. Uh, Jeff Petrie didn't look 100%, but I didn't want him looking at me either. Like, I didn't even know how he looked uh, with those bloodshot eyes. However, um, his presence seemed to make a difference for the Habs, didn't it? It did, and Montreal loves to play their top four Ds, their top two D pairs. And the only thing I can say about the eyes, I read something today where his kids uh, felt reassured that they were the heroes and he was the villain. So they had some fun <laughs> with that. So that was reassuring. But you talk about him coming back uh, from the injury and, and the injury to his fingers. He found a way 
to adapt and to not just be there, but he found a way to contribute. I mean, he was taking hits and then, but taking the way that he could still potentially protect his hand. He played over 20 minutes uh, in that game. He had an assist. So, I mean, a credit to him to the, the talent that he is to come back from that injury, knowing it would potentially impact the way that he played the game. And so to come in and to be that force and to contribute, contribute significantly to the game, uh, he does deserve a lot of credit. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit. Whenever the Montreal Canadiens get three goals, we look at Carey Price and say, there it is again. I think it's 16-0 now since 2015 when they get him three-plus goals in a game. Like, that that stat alone to me, Jen, mm -hmm. is enough to say that that's the goalie that I want. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Carey Price, you look at some of the saves that he has made, even in this series alone. I mean, his post-to-post movement is is exceptional i mean you think that vegas has some uh, you know given goals and he finds a way to close and you know seal off the net and make the huge save uh, and i mean really i don't know if we've seen four better goaltenders in the semifinals uh, for the Stanley Cup. I mean, Carey Price continues to, to elevate his game. I mean, night after night, we've just said, I mean, there has to be at least a couple of those goals every night where you just, your you sort of jaw drops yeah. to think, how did he make that save? Uh, so again, just an impressive uh, performance by him throughout these playoffs. All the goalies' first round picks. Uh, it's yes. unbelievable. So the question is, is it sustainable for Montreal? And the one thing that I look at that Vegas does so well. They're big. They're strong. They come at you in waves. They forecheck really well, mm -hmm. and they got a good defense core. So is, is the top four of Montreal's defense core the key moving forward and whether or not they can withstand this wave after wave? There are a couple of elements that are part of it, but certainly that top, the top four defensemen for Montreal are, are a big part of that, that they play big minutes and they want to find a way to contain the speed and the size and the strength that Vegas brings. But an approach that Montreal should continue to take is to find a way. And if you look, even if uh, Montreal's forwards, the same thing, they will face, I mean, at times you can almost describe Vegas as a, a punishing team in terms of the way they play. They're always going to make sure they finish their checks or, or just put in the extra stick work if you're trying to drive the net. I remember um, even in the last game uh, for Montreal, like Deneau is taking a lot of hits and then finds a way to, to generate a couple shifts later, get an offensive zone chance. So even though you might take a lot of physical play one shift, you need to find a way to get the result in the next shift. And I mean, Caulfield's another example where positioning himself well, he might not get the result on that first shot, but then repositioning and finding another opportunity to either make that nice pass or to bury that shot. So again, it might not come easily or it might not come on the first attempt, but staying persistent yeah. uh, to try to generate those opportunities. And the sacrifice needed to be persistent in such a demanding game. All right, so give me the other keys because I, me I mentioned that top four D and you said, well, that, that's one of the keys. Give me a couple others that you see the Habs needing moving forward to sustain this. Right, well, Carey Price continuing to be <laughs> exceptional yes. is one another piece of that. But I mentioned the forwards and Montreal will want to have their forwards um, jumping in offensively. You look at the Toffoli, Suzuki, Caulfield line, uh, which has been really good. Caulfield continues to impress uh, in terms of making big plays when it matters. Yeah. But it's the same thing for those forwards, that they know they will face um, a lot of physical play. So being confident and being assertive in that 
offensive zone and for them to try to take away some of the speed and that's part of the forwards responsibility as well not just to leave it to the defensemen but for Montreal's forwards to make sure they're applying enough pressure on the forecheck and to slow down Vegas in the neutral zone so that Vegas can't get odd man rushes and speed off the rush. Okay I know you're working the Islanders and Lightning tonight and uh, Butch Gordon's going to join us in a little bit but Nassau County Coliseum like do you ex we heard Kevin BX say yesterday that Las Vegas is the loudest building in the NHL right now is Nassau County Coliseum going to give them a run for their money tonight well, they, they likely will, especially after hearing that feedback. They'll probably know that that was said, and they'll try to match that because those are some loyal uh, fans that love to make sure that they're nice and loud. And if you talk to any of the Islander players, they just say that it's an honor to play in that building in front of them. So I think, and even Tampa Bay had a number of comments this morning before the game uh, in anticipation, knowing that it's going to be a pretty special environment to play in front of. And even you saw that when the Islanders won the last series I mean one of their co-owners John Ledecky is in the in the concourse and can hardly get out because the yeah. fans are all around him so it's certainly <laughs> an atmosphere where they're very dedicated fans uh, Jen thank you very much for doing this uh, you can see Jen tonight 730 Eastern is the start Hockey Central right here on Sportsnet ahead of the Isles and Lightning appreciate it as always okay thanks so much Tim uh, there's Jen Botterill um, I was thanking her and this is Jen Botterill's nature she thanks me mm for thanking her, right? Nice, Just give me nice the, thing to do. Give me the you're welcome, and then give me the Heisman. I'm kind of used to that. Yeah. Time for break. When we come back, three more games at Euro 2020, including an emotional return to the pitch for Denmark. We'll get to the highlights from today's action, plus round one at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. That Raptors parade memories. Your reactions next. Tim and friends. Sports that on. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. And obviously the thoughts of all soccer fans have been with Christian Eriksson since he collapsed on the pitch, suffering cardiac arrest on Saturday in Denmark's opening game at Euro 2020. The team came out and finished the match with Finland later that day, but clearly the incident shook them to their core. Eriksson continues to recover in hospital, and the Danish Soccer Federation today announced that Eriksson will be fitted with an ICD, a heart starting device to help his recovery. His Denmark team with Ericsson on the men went back to the pitch again in Copenhagen for their second game against Belgium earlier today. Belgium uh, favored in this one by a significant margin and the team offering their support to Ericsson by handing over a jersey signed by the entire team and it was Denmark that came out like a house on fire igniting the crowd and it was Yusef Polson who scores the opening goal and the crowd absolutely loved it felt like it might be something special and in the 10th minute supporters players all stop and clap applause in support of Ericsson but in the second half Belgium took over like expected Kevin De Bruyne who set up the first goal scored the second goal Gets it past cash for Schmeichel, short side, and he subdues the celebration out of respect. Belgium secure a spot in the final 16 with a 2-1 final. So they are on six points, two wins. Denmark at the bottom. If they beat Russia in their final group game, they still have a slight shot 
at advancing to the knockout stage. Meanwhile, Group C, Netherlands, Austria, 11th minute, Netherlands penalty kick, Memphis Depay, DeBerries. Bottom corner, 1-0 Dutch lead. 70, excuse me, 67th minute. Netherlands in, and it's Denzel Dumfries. Scores the second of the European Championship. Netherlands on to the round of 16. 2-0 final there. Ukraine, North Macedonia. This one, very interesting. Ukraine corner, Andrei Yarmolenko taps it in. 1-0 Ukraine lead. They kept it going. 34th minute. This time, Yarmolenko distributing. He'll play the through ball ahead. Roman Yaremchuk all alone. He makes no mistake. Ukraine pick up their first win, 2-1 the final, and they're scoring some goals. Ukraine. The winner of this one gave themselves a shot, and they do have one. Netherlands, who have won the group with a game to spare, but Austria Ukraine tied on three points. They will face each other in the final group game with second place on the line. Ukraine scoring some goals, I will say that. I believe it's four through two games for the Ukrainians. All right, uh, Jesse, earlier we put out a tweet about yeah. parade <laughs> memories. Earlier in the show, we played a sot, a montage of all the great moments from that parade. Have we gotten any response on this, the two-year anniversary oh, yeah. of the Raptors championship oh, yeah. parade? Of course. It's, memory, it's a memory-making day. Championship parade. Yeah, you said it. We asked, what's your favorite memory from the day? Two years ago today, Daniel writes in, going to my three-hour summer class at 11 a.m. and still getting home in time to watch the players finally settling down <laughs> right. on the stage. Yeah, long day. Long day, to say the least. Uh, Steph says, Lowry getting the crowd to chant five more years. Didn't really work I out, but yeah, I know. Yeah. That, uh, that was peak excitement for Kawhi Leonard oh. and Raptor Nation was when you heard the five more years and then you're like, where's, un where's, where's his uncle? Where's he at? His uncle was doing the five I more know. years. And you're like, it's over. He's it's coming done. back. He's coming back. Didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. Not nice, Uncle Dennis. No. Not nice. Dan says, Played Mark us. Gasol chastising us for not singing Olay loud enough and then almost falling off the bus as he oh, tried he, to get us to sing louder. A star. He was, a star on that day. He was the MVP yeah, no of doubt. the parade uh, in every way, shape, and form. And uh, I think I said as much during the parade. And Sid said, look out, he's going to fall off the bus. Oh, yeah. He was he was having a time to yeah, me. He, well, there are a lot of people having a time. A lot of people. He was one of them, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Jordan says, houseplant guy. Housewarming gift for Kawhi. Just love the guy's cadence when he gives the interview. A housewarming gift for Kawhi. It's a houseplant. It's a houseplant. Yeah. Yeah. It was a coactus. Coactus. Russell says, that day was my last high school exam, and I finished it as quickly as possible just to go downtown to get a glimpse of the parade. We'll never forget that day ever. Hashtag We the North. Hashtag Tim and friends. Do you know the story about that day and our broadcast? Can I just tell you from my perspective before you get into the details? Because mm -hmm. I was on a patio on Front Street. Okay. And I got there like relatively early. And I remember there was a TV in the booth. And I remember looking up and seeing you, Sid, and Dina. Yeah. And an hour would pass and I'd look up and you guys are still there. I'd be like, wow, it's a long time to talk. And two hours passed and we'd look yeah. up and oh, wow, they're still there. Right. And it just kept going. It just kept going. I'm sitting there with buddies. Like, how are they doing this? 
How are they possibly still broadcasting the parade? And because you guys were left in the dark as much as anybody else. You didn't know when they were coming, right? So I, I am a notorious over-preparer, as you can tell by the desk that I sit at every day. There are numerous papers scattered yeah. about. So I had completely over-prepared for it because I had heard, and it was confirmed earlier that day, it was a last-minute sell mm -hmm. by the Sportsnet sales crew to sell the entire parade commercial-free. And so Sid and I thought, wow, that's not a big deal. It's about a two-hour parade. We've done that with ease. Well, that two-hour parade turned into a seven-hour parade that we couldn't go to commercial on because it's been sold to Tangerine. This is the greatest single purchase in the history of television. Tangerine bought commercial-free time on a parade that was supposed to last two hours and ended up going seven hours. And because of it, I could not urinate. So that is the story. When you hear success, he always complains about what happened that day for many reasons. But to me, it was unbelievable. And I thought it was so much fun just to keep okay. going. And, and the one thing that I'll never forget is... Tim and Sid roll call was trending number one in Canada on parade day because we just asked people to send the pictures of where they were enjoying the parade. Right. And we got into classrooms across Canada. We had people from every part of this country. And I know that people were like, well, it was a Toronto parade. Why are you spending so much time on it? It wasn't just a Toronto parade. We had pictures. And I wish it had this computer where I can post it because we were trying to get that up and running down at the parade and yeah. couldn't do it. But there was pictures from, it felt like, my brothers told me about 72 and when Henderson scored the goal in the Canada-Russia Summit Series, everyone was watching at school. And that was unfathomable to me to have everyone watching a sporting event in school and not until this parade did I ever see anything close. And it was just great to see kids and teachers all sharing in it, people from every corner of this country sharing in it. And that's what I'll remember most. Keep so going saying, with it. So you're saying the commercial-free seven hours was worth it for you? Yeah. I, honestly, I, I really needed to urinate. <laughs> and then something happened in Nathan Phillips Square, and literally I went and alerted police yeah. as to what was going on there, and I never made it to the urinal. Took a dark turn. Yeah, yeah took a very dark turn for many people that were down there. I know you have a few more. I just got two more, yeah. Uh, you want to do it? I think we're breaking. Are we breaking? Can okay. we save the last we'll save two yeah, for yeah, later? Totally All right, after yeah. the break, uh, building should be rocking as Islanders host the Lightning game number three. Been an interesting physical series so far. Longtime Islander, former coach Butch Goring will join us next to tee it up right here on Tim and Friends. And we'll get some more of your reaction. Trust me. Love it. Welcome to Tampa Bay, the Lightning and New York Islanders, and a great crowd ready to go up the middle. Brought in Barzell to the net, scores! Matt Barzell has the opening goal of the Stanley Cup semifinals. Here's Polak, tees it up, scores! Two goal lead on the road, you gotta be thrilled with that. And that will do it, the Islanders take game one. Savard kept it in, throwing it from point, scores! Braden Point! What a brilliant pass by Nikita Kucherov. Kucherov circles, now centered alone, scores! Andre Palat to Lightning! 
are going to even the series. This is message sending. This is what oh, this yeah. is about. And this is the kind of series it is and the kind of series it's going to be. We're excited to get back to, to our house, to the Collie, where we know our fans will be loud and we'll have that momentum with us. The series is 1-1 and probably should be. Good on the Islanders for getting us in game one. We know we had better and we were better. Hard-fought series, to say the least, so far. And we can expect the same on the island tonight. Lightning Islanders Game 3 on Sportsnet and CBC 8 Eastern. Hockey Central on Sportsnet 730 Eastern. Here's Isles coach Barry Trotz while I clear my throat on the impact of the Long Island fans. What it did was put a lot of the joy back in being a hockey player for 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 guys because it is um it was a mental grind in the in the um in the bubble um you score a goal and and uh you know there's there's noise but it's that background noise it was hard to keep momentum you have to you had to do it internally now the fans help you with that a little bit when you get a little bit of momentum they're they're you know they're they're cheering they're pushing you on uh it does give you a little boost of energy but uh, above all that, it took the mental grind out of it. Joining us now to discuss is a man who knows that crowd pretty well. Former All-Star, a Con Smythe Award winner, a four-time cup winner, and a man who had his 91 retired by the New York Islanders. Butch Goring joins us from New York. Thanks for doing this, Butch. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, and thanks for the PR work. <laughs> Anytime. If you need me, I'm here. Uh, so <laughs> tell me about that crowd. Like, what are... What are you expecting tonight from Nassau County Coliseum, and how can that impact the team? You've seen it up close and personal. I'm expecting to be able to hear them from here in the studios in Manhattan. That's how loud I think it's going to be. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a difference maker, honestly. I mean, uh, there, there are going to be very, very few lulls in the entire game, and the Islander fans are going to spur this team on at every opportunity. So uh, if they can score a couple of goals, I feel sorry for Tampa because it's going to be relentless cheering. The atmosphere is just going to be unbelievable. We've watched this, what's happened over the last few games at home, and I was a personal witness with it, obviously, a number of years ago. So uh, Barry Trotz talks about it all the time. It's a six or seven wins during the regular season. Right now, he's just hoping for one. Uh, one would give him a 2-1 series lead and a look back at Butch Gorin making a big, maybe the greatest uh, trade deadline pickup of all time, Butch Gorin. Um, so you had a, as an analyst, not bad either, because I'll give you this. You had a feeling <laughs> that the Lightning were going to come out with their best game in game number two do you think it was well it was definitely a lot better than their than their first game and you know i haven't seen them all year i really didn't watch the playoff series against carolina or florida so i haven't seen a, a lot of them and and of course you know if you're not watching them in person you, you don't get as good a handle uh but this is a very very good hockey team and listen they've got the stanley cup sitting in their backyard right now and they're not in a hurry to let it go and i certainly know that feeling so it didn't surprise me that they had a terrific game in game two. I mean, they could not afford to lose both games at home to the Islanders and then expect to be able to beat the Islanders at least three times in, in the, at the Coliseum. That would be a tough chore. So uh, they did put their best foot forward. They played a tremendous game. But I got to say, the Islanders hung in there for the longest time. And who knows where the game would have gone if it wasn't for that too many men on the ice penalty that, that was missed. 
Yeah, there are a couple missed calls. Officiating played a pretty big factor in that game. So, so let me ask you, it sounds like we had uh, Kevin BX and Anthony Stewart sitting in, uh, in on our show yesterday, and both of them said the start will be a huge key for the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal Canadiens get off to another good start, and Carey Price is able to hang on. They get the 3-2 victory. It sounds like you're saying you expect much of the same from New York tonight if they can get off to that start. It just seems like everybody in, uh, really, in the entire National Hockey League in the playoffs, that first goal is just huge. It sets the tone, and it allows them to get into their game. Meanwhile, the team that's down a goal, they're scrambling. They know the next goal is really important. They cannot afford to get down two goals. So that first goal seems crucial. So I expect the Islanders to come out with guns a-blazing, and I'm sure John Cooper has told his team, we got to weather the storm. They're going to be hot. The fans are going to be hot. So let's try and keep the game simple in the first five to ten minutes, and then settle into our game. Why do you think that many people have looked over the Islanders when it comes to playoff success? Well, because there's, there's no real superstars. I mean, yes, Barzell is an elite talent. No two ways about it. But uh, they just kind of fly under the radar. They, they play their four lines and their six defensemen, and, and they don't deviate from their game. It doesn't matter whether they're up a couple or down a couple. It's just uh, that workmanlike attitude. So I think people just kind of look at them and go, okay, they're a real nice hockey team. They play real hard. But when they need a goal, they're never going to get it. Or if they need a save, they're never going to get it. And I just think people have a little bit of a disrespect for really how good these guys are. They're, they're a difficult team to play against. Every coach, really, that's matched up against them says the same thing. They're just not fun to play against. How much does Barry Trotz deserve credit for the way that they have kind of solidified um, what they do? Uh, well, I think he deserves an awful lot of credit. I mean, he came in with the Stanley Cup in his back pocket, and he said the first thing we're going to do is we're going to change the way we play, and we're going to eliminate the goals against. And boy, oh boy, did he do an unbelievable job. I mean, went from last to number one in the entire league. So he set the standard. He had a very uh, willing group to pay attention to him because they were uh, obviously not very good the, the year before. The media pretty much told him they couldn't win games without John Tavares. So uh, they were certainly uh, all ears. And then Barry Trotz and his entire staff have done an unbelievable job. They've continued to get better and better. And, boy, there's not too many teams that have gone to the semifinals two years in a row over the last little while. And they've done it with different goaltenders. That's what's impressive to me. It really is. I mean, and all these goaltenders have played exceptionally well. But again, I think Barry Trotz and his staff can take a lot of credit because they, they set up the system. And I think when, you, when goaltenders come from another team, they all of a sudden look at this team the way they play and they go, oh, I'm not facing nearly as many difficult shots as I, I was before. So uh, this is a team, as I said, they, they know how to play their game. They don't deviate from it. So I think it's a real joy at times for goaltenders to play under the Barry Trotz system with the New York Islanders. Uh, but right, it's 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 been impressive, really. When it doesn't matter which goaltenders in net, uh, they're always vying for the Vesna. You know, when I was a kid, uh, probably about 17, 18, I used to skate with Bob Lormer, who used to show up to my old man skate, and I used to ask him about those Islanders teams, and he said there was a culture of winning, like you just walked into this culture of winning. And when people talk about Lou Lamarillo, I often hear about the culture that he brings to a team. And people will talk about the beards or the haircuts and focus on that. But what do you think Lou brings to a team that's different than other presidents or GMs? 
Well, the first impression that I had from Lou is that we're here to win hockey games. It's all business, and so no matter what we have to do, whatever rules we have to put in place, if it helps us win hockey games, that's the way it's going to be. And again, when you walk into that room, like Lou Lamarillo, and you're carrying three Stanley Cups, uh, people are going to listen to you. you. You know what you're talking about. And then, of course, he brings in a Stanley Cup coach from the year before, and everybody all of a sudden knows, okay, these guys mean business. Every player that was in that dressing room knows exactly what's on those two guys' mind, and everybody gets in line quickly. So, you know, you talk about culture. The culture is really being a, being a professional and know what the expectations are and then try to reach them just a little bit higher than what's expected. I know it's not quite game day when you don the old bucket, but we do appreciate <laughs> you taking some time on your game day as a broadcaster and joining us here on Tim and Friends. Well, thanks a lot, guys, and uh, you guys be well. Be safe up in Canada. You too. Always great talking to you. There is uh, Butch Goring, former coach, former player, uh, four-time cup winner, joining us here. Someone who knows the longs in Ireland, or at least Long Island. Round one, U.S. Open, Tory Pines is underway. John Rahm, the betting favorite, having to withdraw while leading the Memorial Tournament two weeks ago due to a COVID positive test. While Brooks versus Bryson, the feud also on everyone's radar entering the tournament. We didn't get them in the same grouping, but they are on the same course. Following a 90-minute fog delay, we got action for the first time at Torrey Pines in the U.S. Open since 2008. Phil Mickelson from the area turned 51 on Wednesday, looking for his first U.S. Open win, par 3 third. Mickelson from the bunker, you know the short game. Aims way wide of the pin, but watch it roll. Maybe some home course knowledge leads to a nice par save. Lefty finished the day, though. Four over par. Two-time U.S. Open winner Brooks Kepka being cheered on from this studio by Jesse. That's right. Started on the back nine, par five, 18th. Third shot from 150 yards out. Tap in birdie. Then... Awkward shot in some trouble. Jesse getting a little worried. He's got him as his pinata pick. It's early. Got it inside five. Save par. Two under par. Par 316th. Kevin, nah, guy. Seven over, but the flop shot ridiculous. Put it up in the sky. Drops three feet from the hole. Goes on to par the hole. Here's Moose Josh Saskatchewan's Adam Hadwin. Long putt, 69 feet, Rob Gronkowski's favorite distance, and he drops it. You kidding me? How did we get the per the precise 69 feet? By the way, born Moose Jaw, Abbotsford, one of those Abbotsford's Adams. Uh, one under par for the round. Uh, so Hadwin right in the mix at one under par. Tied six, Ketlet, two under par. Jesse's got him in the pinata pick. Very happy. Tim, that's all, what we want. All behind your leader, Russell Henley. Four under after carding an opening round, 67. All right, so uh, so Jesse, you, you got this look on your I face. Thought, I thought like, love that. That's what you want after one round. Oh, you don't need to have a wire to wire win. Make it interesting for the fans, Brooksy. Oh, look look at that. The sports interaction. So, uh, Brooksy, you see that times two. If he wins. We get double the money. That means we got him twice. Okay, so you said we. And for those who don't know, we went pinata picks in sports interaction. And what that does is it gives you basically the field odds for every golfer that's that right. spits out in your pinata picks. So, Jesse, just put down five. 
and he did it a couple times, and he ended up getting Brooks Kepka twice. What's the number, the field number? It's 124 to 1? It's 126 to 1. Ooh, yeah, there's 156 sorry. guys in the field. It's 126 to 1. Got it twice. Five bucks. You can do the math. It's over $1,000. Just saying. Brooksy, here we go, baby. So did you end up getting, because uh, as soon as you mentioned this with Anthony Stewart uh, no. uh, on the desk with us yesterday yeah. uh, in Seoul, uh, he was at his home in Markham, but did you get the e-transfer from Anthony Stewart? We couldn't find a way to connect because he has a oh, BlackBerry. He has yeah. a BlackBerry. I have an iPhone. It right. Just, it didn't go through so, properly. So, no. yes. Any of your other guy? Like, is it just Kepka? Oh no, 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 no. Rory's just starting now. He birdied one, I believe. Garrick Higgo's up there. He just started two. Tommy Fleetwood had a pretty decent day. He's two over, which is only six back. You just want Louis Oosthuizen just teeing off now. You just want guys that are going to be in the hunt. And we know uh, the fans want to see Bryson and Brooks. This weekend, they didn't get a chance to see it Thursday and Friday. Bryson's going to have to play well if he wants to play with Brooks this weekend because Brooks, he came to play. So yeah. Jesse laying it down in a couple different ways. That's right. Uh, you, can I update you on uh, some Blue Jays roster moves? Because they have I, been moving and shaking. I uh, I looked down at my computer yeah. uh, just before we had Butch Goring on the show, and I was kind of prepping quickly, making sure I got the Con Smythe Award right, making sure I got the four cups right. I knew he was picked up. Yeah, a lot up, of pressure right? there. Yeah. Kind of kicked it. And I just wanted to make sure... Uh, that when talking to Butch Goring, I had it all right. And I just saw a tweet from Alex Sixero, and it looked like a brrr. So what exactly the hell what happened? Okay, let's enlighten you. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Roster moves. Five of them from the Toronto Blue Jays. TJ Zoic recalled from AAA and will start. Yeah, we knew that. Teoscar Hernandez placed on the paternity list. I didn't know that. Rafael Dolis, right middle finger strain placed on the 10-day IL. Jared Hoying. Contract selected, and C.J. Edwards transferred to the 60-day IL, which is so. Where are a long the time. other pitching? Were those made yesterday? Like, where are the corresponding moves with pitchers? Because now you got two more unavailable for tonight out of a bullpen that was already decimated. I feel like if they blow it again, we're going to have another Charlie uh, frustration you, press conference. What do you want me to do, press yeah. conference? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Seems like the happiest. Like, to, to make Charlie Montoyo upset, yeah. it seems like a lot has to happen. Yeah. And right now, there's a lot happening. Can I say thing. something about Charlie Montoyo, though, to Jays fans? Just quickly here. I know we're almost out of time. Yeah. He was brought on because of his personality and a young team. They wanted a guy who was positive. They wanted a guy who wasn't going to get down in the dumps when things went bad because they knew that this team was going to be young. And there's a bunch of people out there wanting him to be more fired up when it looks as though the ball wasn't fouled off or it looks as though Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is safe at third. Like, they want him to be this fired-up guy getting mad. That's not why he was brought on. That's not, not what he is. He's been through a lot in life with his family. He's got perspective, and that's exactly why he was brought on. He's not going to be that guy. The closest you're going to get is the bleep that you got yeah. after he was asked about the bullpen. Am I wrong on this? No, no you're right. you got to keep the ship afloat. And you have guys like Marcus Simeon in the locker room you can rely on. Super positive in his interview. You know, he believes in the bullpen. Obviously, he's not going to rip the bullpen in an interview here, but he believes in the team. He thinks they're really good, as he said. And you got to believe. Right. I just, I don't, you're not going to get that from Charlie Montoyo. If you're no. looking for that from him, move on. Time for one last break. We'll do last call. Jesse will be asking me questions next <laughs> here in Tim and Friends. It's on Sportsnet for now. <laughs>
You know, the music means one thing. It's Jesse Rubinoff with Last Call. Let's hit it, Timmy. Let's go to basketball. NBA, starting what? first. Oh, Last Call. Let's okay. Rick Carlisle, done. Resigned today after 13 seasons as Mavericks head coach, including an NBA championship in 2011. The move comes one day after the departure of Mavs longtime executive Donnie Nelson. There are now seven head coaching vacancies in the NBA. The Mavs, Blazers, Celtics, Pacers, Magic, Wizards, Pelicans. It's a lot of teams. But Timmy, which one is the most appealing situation? Uh, I think probably New Orleans, Dallas, or Boston. Boston comes with pressure, has the highest upside. Dallas, you got Luka. Yeah. And... Though it seems like Luca had something to do with all of this in Dallas. Like, it seems like there was just fishy going strife throughout that front office. Mark Cuban comes out, says there's nothing wrong. Yeah. And then a day later, Rick Carlisle is walking out the door. Uh, there are a couple stories suggesting that this was going to happen. But that's still an appealing job in Dallas. And Zion Williamson would attract me as a coach, even if he didn't have the things around him, even if it was New Orleans. Yeah. So... I put that on the list, too. There's a couple reports out there uh, today that Zion and his family members are maybe unhappy in New Orleans because the team has failed to put the necessary pieces around him. Already. Which I would say, pump the brakes a little bit. Only a second year. Like, it's getting a little frisky. A little ahead of yourself. Yeah, I think this is the new world. And I, I like, I, part of me doesn't believe this, and this is just pressure to put on New Orleans franchise, but the franchise has been in shambles for a while. Yes. Like it's never really found its footing. And if Zion's of this new age where you can't wait, where patience is not a virtue, then it doesn't surprise me. Cannot afford to lose another star in New Orleans. Just can't. It's just it would be yeah. unfair. You think you got fans. a bad in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of coaching vacancies, many expect there will be one in Milwaukee if the Bucks lose yes. to the Nets. In tonight's game six, Brooklyn, of course, leads the series 3-2. Timmy, will Mike Budenholzer yeah, pay the price you don't even if have the Bucks lose? Yes. I'm not yes. even going to finish. Yes. I'm not going to yes. finish. And I'm going to tell you something. If he doesn't try new things in this game and they still, like, put Giannis on the only guy that can hurt you. Like, why have we not seen that more? I don't get it. And if James Harden is as hurt as he is, why not double-team Kevin Durant more? Like, there's a bunch of things that they needed to do in that last game to change it, and it didn't. It wouldn't have taken much because they needed every shred of Kevin Durant's legendary performance to win. Budenholzer needs to do more now, and either way, if they lose, he's gone. Like, it doesn't matter. You mentioned the Giannis maybe potentially guarding Durant tonight. And that got me thinking. Kirk Goldsberry sent out a tweet earlier today. That's why I was just scrambling there. Yeah. Durant defenders since 2013-14. And you see at the bottom there, Durant's field goal percentage. Yeah. The top name there is Giannis Antetokounmpo, which means he's been the best defender against Durant over the last eight seasons. And he's not guarding Durant. It's insane. You're just letting him score 49 points. Like, if you're Giannis, you also got to at some point say, like, that I'm on him. Yeah. I want to Well, we saw to that from him. Kawhi a couple of different yeah. times. Well, now I'm taking him, right? 100%. And uh, it's obvious that they need to make a couple of shifts. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, moving on. Nick McKellar, also known as the Suns in four guy. 
certainly making the most of his 15 minutes of fame. Videos went viral of McKellar punching a Nuggets fan several times and then yelling Suns and Four. This is what we celebrate in 2021 society. This is at day three of the Suns Nuggets series. Suns all-star Devin Booker tracked down McKellar and is sending him a signed jersey and tickets to a (laughs) conference final game. He's also getting his own action figure, cut or uncut, celebrating an assault. There's the action figure there. Okay, here's, I know that everyone's really sensitive in uh, 2021. Um, We didn't really show the fight because people are sensitive in 2021. But what happened was there was a bit of an altercation and a Nuggets fan went back at him. Two of them. Two of them were going at him, but one guy threw a punch at him. Oh, yeah. And that was a mistake because Suns and Four Guy obviously had played some hockey because he jerseyed and then just started hitting with the uppercut one after another. And I know we're not supposed to celebrate these things, but in real life, sometimes they happen and you better be careful who you take the sucker punch at. Obviously, Suns and Four Guy is not the dude you take the sucker punch at. So I'm just gonna stand here and say, I don't care whether it's cut or uncut, but if you take a sucker punch at the wrong guy in real life, every once in a while, you're held accountable for that. Absolutely. And tough luck not winning the fight on the higher ground. Like the guy was on the lower row too. Oh yeah, when you have leverage, yes, you should definitely be winning. Although every once in a while you see in those fights in the stands, which are always ridiculous. Not condoning violence. No, they're ridiculous. The fights in stands are ridiculous. But every once in a while, one guy in the lower part will pull and guy in the leverage part goes over. Be, be careful. See you later. Be careful. Uh, today marks the 27th anniversary of the OJ Bronco chase. Yes. Coverage of the chase interrupted coverage of game five, of the NBA finals between the Knicks and Rockets. It's one of those, where were you when moments? So Tim, just like the parade was Tim, where were you? Uh, I remember exactly where I was. I was at a party at the James household mm. uh, at a Senator O'Connor party, my high school at the James household and word kind of, moved around the party and you could tell who kind of knew sports and understood sports and then all of a sudden it was a i believe um we had had a football uh, unofficial practice that day where we all got together and worked out and this was kind of the nightcap and everyone was just like hold on a second oj simpson's doing what oj simpson is where and now with twitter it would be a completely different story but on that day we just all huddled around the old philco tv and watched oj drive through the streets of la can't say i remember very much have seen uh, the oj docs have seen the reality show. i was only yeah. six when it happened or five so you know shout out to pat and francis and maria james who all uh, held that part they're just yeah. a bunch of the kids and they they had a party every good party yeah yeah, yeah. 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 i knew what to do yeah. uh just quickly. And don't rub that you were six at the, the Bowman. Just, well, yeah, yeah, I didn't watch it. Uh, I was going to run through. Uh, the NHLPA released the results from its annual players poll. It's all right. We don't have to show very much of it other than Austin Matthews was voted best scorer, headman, best defenseman, yeah. Vasilevsky. If you want to check it out, you can. Uh, we should tweet that out for people because it is very interesting. 100%. So we'll tweet that out for people. It's cool. Uh, it was tweeted out by the NHLPA. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Jesse, as always, thank you very much. We are done. Hockey Central, 7.30 Eastern. Game 3 is on Sportsnet Lightning Islanders. Talk to you tomorrow. Here we go.